Hello and welcome to Cinda Podcast, the Independent Film Festival's podcast. My name is Johnny Shank. I'm a curator with the festival. Today, we've arrived. It's a day we've been waiting for for weeks and months, maybe even years. Barbie and Oppenheimer have hit theaters this weekend. And uh, I believe the Oppenheimer tagline was, the world forever changes. I think that that's pretty accurate uh, to the moment that we're experiencing right now. So joining me today to delve into the madness of this Barbenheimer weekend is independent curator, uh, letterboxed influencer, and founder and editor-in-chief of the Buffed Film Buffs blog, Lydia Smith. Lydia, welcome. Hi, thank you so much. All right, yeah. I think we expected this weekend to be big, but... I don't know about you, but I didn't expect the weekend to be this big. Um, I was just looking at the box office numbers, and it's surpassed the just the grosses for the combined films this weekend, past Spider-Man uh, No Way Home, um, to be the biggest weekend since the pandemic, and the biggest weekend for movies, period, since um, Avengers Endgame in 2019. Um, so yeah, where's your head at right now in the midst of this uh, Barbie Oppenheimer madness? Well, uh, I really imagine that there was a lot of people coming out to the theaters who probably haven't even been to the theater since COVID. Like, I feel like it was hyped up to that amount where people who probably don't normally go to the theater as a pastime uh, wanted to be part of the event. Uh, so I think mm-hmm. just being part of the event, dressing up, you know, doing the full thing, that was really, really cool to be a part of. And it's something I'll look back on very fondly. Yeah. Um, I definitely didn't go in with like specific expectations for either movie. Uh, We'll talk about this, but Mm -hmm. I I stayed off Twitter for the most part. And most of the like reactions I was seeing were to like screenshots of the trailers and whatnot. um, Just pointing out celeb is in this movie. Celeb is in this movie. Oh, there's another celeb in this movie. Between Uh, the two movies, almost everyone in Hollywood is in one of the two movies. I don't think there's any crossover I was looking for it of like, is there anyone who was in both? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. But between the two, um, we checked a lot of boxes. Yeah. Yeah, for of, sure. Of Got culture. Josh from Drake and Josh even, which... Did we? Yeah. He was literally the guy who let off the test bomb. Oh. He was the one in charge of the pressing the button. Yeah. He got a big now, moment. Okay. I'm, I'm not up on my Drake and Josh lore. So <laughs> we love to see it. <laughs> no it's just funny because it's so random you know the faces that you're seeing pop up in this I, I think also like maybe me being a Disney kid and seeing the kid from Sky High um, there was some other moments where I just saw faces I hadn't seen in 15 years on on the big screen so <laughs> yeah there were in both films like a lot of easter eggs and um, we'll get into it um, I should say uh, up top we're going to go full spoiler territory with both movies feels like most people ha- are have made it a priority to see these movies opening weekend. But if if you are still planning to see the movie, maybe, you know, go see the film and then, or the films and then come back and listen. Because, um, yeah, we're going to talk about all of it. Let's start here, perhaps. Uh, we mentioned, you mentioned up top a little bit about dressing up and the whole atmosphere and environment of being out at the movies this weekend. Uh, how did you plan your weekend that's been a hot topic i feel like i've just been reading articles about like which one do you see first right discussions i've actually i've heard compelling arguments both ways about you know how to plan the day 
Um, but how did you go about this weekend? Well, I had friends who took off work. Uh, so some people were a little bit more into it, I think, than uh, I was. Not in the sense that I took off work on Friday. Uh, took off work on, well, Saturday, just to maybe, because we did not end up doing a double feature. Uh, so gotcha. that's important to distinguish. Mm-hmm. Um, but we ended up waiting at least until Friday to see the first movie because um, we had a friend coming in from out of town. So, you know, the whole loyalty thing, not getting ahead of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we ended up seeing Barbie first, I think just because we were more sure that that was the one we definitely wanted to see. Yeah, okay. um, Friday night Barbie. Friday night Barbie, yeah. Cool. It was like, mm-hmm. we went to a Mexican restaurant beforehand and then we went to a 650 showing, went, you know, got home at a normal time. So nice. that worked out, super fun, cried a little, you know, the whole deal. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. And then Saturday we went to Oppenheimer um i had a shift that day actually but oh, yeah. i got off around two and then we went to the oppenheimer at 4 50. so okay. same group but actually like two or three more people so we were taking up an entire row it was it was an event less dress up uh what, i would say than the bar what was the but... was this the same theater that you attended yeah for? okay what was the energy like there like were you seeing a lot of people dressed up or i was seeing a mix of like a lot of pink of course, but then a lot yeah. of like suits and fedoras as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. people mostly, I think if there was a like a trend for Oppenheimer is just like wearing black. Um, yeah. So I, I dressed down, like I didn't wear as as much glitz and makeup and stuff as I did for Barbie. But yeah, I think more people took Barbie as the dress up movie. For sure. Uh, and they were so we the theater that we go to, it's usually pretty like low staffed because it's not super busy um but they were actually checking tickets on friday so that was a sign that there was a real event going on yeah yeah you don't see was the concession stand overwhelmed how are they faring Uh, i mean i think they were handling it a lot of us bought our tickets in advance because we kind of knew that that would be what the situation looked like yeah um so mostly like we had things under control but probably a few people who showed up like 10 minutes before thinking they would be able to buy a ticket were sorely disappointed and i will add too that when we walked in we were only 10 minutes early to like the time and pretty much all the rows ended up being full so we had to sit in the second to front row oh wow Um, okay so so that was the assigned seat no, 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 no. We're not one of those places. First come, first. <laughs> no start. AMC. Not an AMC. Was it a chain yeah. theater? Oh, God, I don't even know. I don't think so. Like, I think it's just one of those local, like, oh yeah, not quite an indie theater, but not quite um, like a. I'm trying to struggling to think of the other yeah big chains, but um, yeah, are kind they, of somewhere in the middle. Are they worth shouting out on? On the podcast. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Athena Grand in Athens, Ohio. The Athena is as closed for the summer. So most of the people who normally attend Athena have been heading out to Athena Grand, which is a little bit more of a trip. But yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I like this is a movie theater. Well, unsurprisingly, a pro movie theater, uh, pro art house podcast. And I'm I'm on a personal quest to to visit and check out all the uh, particularly in Ohio. I feel like I'm yeah, I'm finding my way around. I've uh, I love the neon in Dayton. Um, of course, we have the Esquire mm. and Marymount theaters here in Cincinnati. And then I actually saw Oppenheimer at the Gateway in Columbus. Oh, cool! I decided to go on a journey this weekend to see the movie as God intended uh, in seventy millimeter, right. um, <laughs> or at least as Christopher Nolan intended. And you know, I don't know. We maybe we could talk about that 
element of it a little bit too. I don't know if if Athens has a film projector. I don't. I feel like only a couple places in Ohio do. Um, yeah. So I will say that like there's an Athena, which is kind of on the main like College Street, and mm-hmm. um, that's where most people go. They only have about three rooms, um, but it has that classic like art house feel, and it's also where the Athens International Film and Video Festival takes place um, in the spring. Ooh, cool. So. Uh, usually you're going to have a lot of people coming in and out of theaters there. And then the Athena Grand is kind of the extension, which, you know, will show less of the art house stuff, more of the blockbusters. Right. Um, but because the Athena is under construction this summer, they've been, they've been taking over a little bit, picking up some of the slack. Mm-hmm. So we've been heading out there uh, more often. Okay. What are we talking like digital projection? Oh gosh. Most I don't likely. know. I'm not privy to like the technology. I can, I, would, I can do a quick Google search. I would assume so. I think I looked it up once and it's like gateway is pretty exclusive in Ohio okay. as being like having 70 millimeter capability. And then okay. maybe Cleveland has one or two as well, but Cincinnati doesn't have anything at the moment. I don't know how, how important that is. There was like, when I was looking up the Oppenheimer release, Christopher Nolan his preferred format for people to see it in is um, 70 millimeter IMAX, which apparently only there's only like 30 venues in the world who have that capability. And like maybe half of those are in the U S and half of those are around the rest of the world. Um, The closest one to Cincinnati, like in the Midwest is Indianapolis. Um, Oh, okay. Yeah. Which I considered, but I tried to recruit, um, my my best friend from home to to go watch it with me in Indiana in Indianapolis, but he turned me down because he he thought that uh he's like isn't Oppenheimer like a talking movie like that doesn't really seem like an IMAX kind of movie, and that honestly may be right. I mean there's yeah there's a few moments where Christopher Nolan really dials it up, but for the right. most part it is very much of a talking film. Yeah, I mean there there's there's only like two scenes that actually feature like explosions. Um, so I can see Which, why you know, people... for being a movie about, there's some small explosions. There's some, you know, preliminary right. explosions. Yeah. Some mini ones, but no. And actually, I think that surprised me too. We can talk about that later. But just the fact yeah. that um, it wasn't as psychological as I was really expecting it to be um, yeah. in terms of like visions. Like they hinted at the fact that Oppenheimer oh. was having visions, but they didn't really make that a continued like motif throughout the entire movie. Yeah. At the start of the movie, it's like pretty psychedelic trippy like he's the neurons are firing and things are you don't know if it's in his head or if it's visions he's having of the apocalypse you know and they but then it sort of progresses into more of like a i've heard it compared to like a aaron sorkin or a big comparison that people are making to oppenheimer is um jfk Mm, Um, i have not actually seen that one it's (laughs) it's like Maybe it's it's an interesting movie. It's maybe not. It's a commitment to see. I, I at one point watched it because I was trying to watch a bunch of Oliver Stone movies and uh, it wore me out. It's like it's even longer than Oppenheimer. It's like three and a half hours. And yeah. it's it's really just like people talking in rooms and talking in circles for three and a half hours. <laughs> Got it. Who plays JFK in the movie? You know, I don't remember. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that he's. He may not even, he probably is played by someone, but the majority of the film is just like them, like Kevin Costner watching the Zapruder yeah. a million times and then talking about like back into the left. That's okay. I I see. Yeah. 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 You're right. 
Okay, yeah. just just curious because we did get a JFK name drop in Oppenheimer, which is one of those one of those like <laughs> lines that you can't help but giggle a little bit at. I know. Um, yeah, I was like, wait, what? They are you acted like it was some big reveal. <laughs> They're like a junior senator from Massachusetts. Ever heard of them? <laughs> exactly. They're almost like uh, especially with. And we're just jumping all over the place right now, but especially, no, I know. Being, Sorry. you know, Robert Downey Jr. in that yeah. uh, portion of the film, it was very much had a ring of like introducing the next character in this, <laughs> in right. the uh, saga. Um, exactly. No, it's the like Oppenheimer verse. Name drops. Like- yeah, because, <laughs> yeah, they do a lot of like little, almost Avengers-like character introductions where they're like Heisenberg. They show the back of their head and then they're like talking and you're like, that voice sounds familiar. Oh, and then they finally reveal and it's Casey Affleck. Yeah. Wow. Did you did you know that Casey Affleck was going to be in it? I did not. And I, I don't know. think that it's as important as they thought it was going to be of a revelation. Yeah. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, they really like, they're like, this is going to blow your effing mind yeah, yeah. <laughs> same with um gary oldman as truman that was good that i think i did good. a like a little mini cheer or no i just chuck i did like an audible chuckle in the theater for that moment okay we need a we we got to focus in here well, let me get back okay we'll let get me back because there's a lot to talk about. right no no, no. let yeah. me jump back to athena grant athena grant is oh, yeah. an independent theater they are 100 digital and Tickets are five dollars, so wow. real bargain. Yeah, nice. Get that's a uh, that's a great sell. Um, we love to see it. Support your local theaters. So yes. true. Yes. Uh, oh yeah. So it was my Oppenheimer experience. I um I saw that at the Gateway uh, on Saturday afternoon. Uh, I had the opportunity to see Barbie with some independent folks at a screening that was organized by the Owens Group here in Cincinnati. And that was down at uh, AMC in Newport here. Um, really cool. There was like a little function beforehand that the Owens Group put on with all kinds of uh, fun decorations. People went all out with their costumes. Um, and yeah, the vibes were the best you could you could wish for, um, for that kind of movie. So from an experience level, just 10 out of 10 for sure for Barbie for me and the yeah, excitement like level was strong. Then as I think we're just about to get into it, I feel like we came into that movie, like with the audience I was watching with, like really fired up and excited. And then as the movie went on, it, it like turned in some interesting ways. Yeah. And I'm, I feel like that could be a thing. Like, you know, if you love films and you've been in this for a while, you're there's a portion of film goers who are going because they want to see a Greta Gerwig movie. And so I think going to see it because you want to see a Greta Gerwig movie and going to see it because it's like the big Barbie movie are two very different ways to go into that experience and lead to potentially two very different reactions to the film. Uh, Yeah. Okay. Here's what we should do before speaking of Greta Gerwig, before we get really into the movies themselves, these two movies, Barbie and Oppenheimer are both created, written, directed by luminaries in the film world. Uh, you know, really for the last decade, two decades, um, I both hit the scene. Christopher Nolan hit the scene a little bit earlier than Greta Gerwig, but they've both been mainstays, I would say, for the last decade plus. At least Greta is a writer, you know, in terms yeah. of like her collaborations with Bombach. And um, I don't know. I feel like she's been a face since for Mumblecore for a while. Just very different genres. Very different. Couldn't be more different, which is, of course, part of the whole pitch of this weekend and what made it so unique. 
perhaps more similar than some would think too, and in some overlap between the films. So, you know, we'll talk about it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but really, I mean, starting at very different places, potentially moving towards similar careers though. Greta Gerwig, since she's been directing, it came out of the gates really hot with Lady Bird, made at the time, I think it was the most money that any A24 movie had made. It made almost $50 million. It's like right there with Hereditary until um, everything everywhere all at once came through and set all the A24 records. And then Little Women, I think, was a pretty big box office hit too. So she's she's like art house, but she's very bankable at the same time. Right. I mean, and she does use a lot of like familiar stars who I feel like, well, maybe not in Lady Bird at the time. I don't really know if Saoirse Ronan was a household name at the time because I know she got the nomination for Atonement. So she's been right. around in the industry. Um, I mean, was but maybe Brooklyn was Lady Bird somewhere in there too? Who? Brooklyn. The- oh yeah, 2015. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she also got an Oscar nom for that. So I probably recognizable, but maybe just not in the Hollywood way because of like her, her star status was a little bit more of the refined, like, Irish British sort of way for Sorsha. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And a different kind of star level than Margot Robbie for sure. Right. Um, it would have been, I would have loved to see Sorsha in the lead role just to keep that partnership going. Would have been a different that would be movie, interesting. I didn't, I, I, I can't quite imagine it, but that it, would be. It, interesting. Well, let's bring it back to, let's bring it Greta back Gerwig. to Greta Gerwig. Tell yeah. me about your history with Greta Gerwig and Christopher Nolan leading up to this weekend how how have what has your journey been like with them and what kind of feelings do you have about them well I remember I mean right when I was getting into movies I tried to just like be as broad as possible um Mm -hmm. and I came across Francis Hall like on a random day and it felt very niche to me at the time for sure and I thought it was masterpiece I literally loved it identified with it so much um I found her character like very relatable and I don't know. I, I could just feel like the warmth of her personality just go like comes through in that movie. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, the fact that she and Bombach are now like both a creative couple and a, like a mar- like, you know, they have children together and whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's really, really cool. Um, it feels like I have been a part of that journey, which I know is <laughs> it's parasocial, but, um, <laughs> you know, it, I, I deep, I, I certainly appreciate it. I loved marriage story. I liked Lady Bird. I didn't feel probably as strongly about Lady Bird as some other people do, just because I think um, mm. it became like the um, movie for like girls in my age group. And I was uh-huh. like, well, yeah. I'm, you know, I don't need to cling on to it that much. Um, so I liked it and sense. I still do like yeah. it. But Little Women is perfect to me. <laughs> that was, I, I'm one of four sisters and I actually haven't oh, seen which the other sister are you? Well, I'm the youngest, technically, and hmm. I like to think that I have some... Wait, is the youngest? No, spoilers, the one who... I'm sorry, go ahead, I cut you off. So, no, I just... What was your question? Oh, I was trying to remember if the youngest sister is the one who dies. Spoiler warning. No, that's Beth. She's the uh, third one, I think. Is Florence Pugh the youngest? Yeah, that's Amy. I see. So, I, I like to think I have some aspects of Amy, some aspects of Joe... Um, and anyway, point being is I saw that with my sister and it was a delightful experience and I still, every time I watch it, I just feel overcome with this kind of like limitless possibility. Like, I don't know that movie, just the way that it's edited and the way that like the Gerwig, that Gerwig decided to change the ending. I think those are all really brilliant choices. feel very, very strongly about that one. And I figured Mm -hmm. 
Barbie would be good no matter what if she had her hands on it. Right. Which <laughs> is giving her, I mean, is there anyone else who, who could have put their name on Barbie and then you would have said, yes, I trust that they're going to do something interesting with this. Let me think about that. I mean, in terms of energy, I'm not quite sure. Uh-huh. Um, there are certain filmmakers I really appreciate and admire and have done really interesting things. Uh, yeah. But I feel like Gerwig has kind of funky energy to her that I right. think really suited the angle that they eventually um, decided to take the story in. I did read that Mattel and Margot Robbie like partnered even prior to when the script was uh, written. Uh, and at one point, it, like Amy Schumer was attached to the story or something like that. I remember hearing um, that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure, but. I heard that Anne Hathaway was attached at one point. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I found it interesting that, you know, the, the IP was like, solidified before even they had a story to tell and before they had a director mm-hmm. attached and everything. Um, but I'm really grateful it was her, you know, like yeah. I, I feel like other people probably wouldn't have been so bold and so empathetic. Um, it, it was good. Yeah. It was a really good movie. <laughs> Indeed. And, yeah. And by and contrast, guess- for instance, we, yeah. I've saw an announcement that JJ Abrams is going to be directing a Hot Wheels movie for Mattel. trying to launch like a movie division to their company now and that just feels like kind of a worst case scenario I mean the whole idea is kind of a worst case scenario (laughs) that Mattel is trying to like make an Uno movie or something yeah that's so I think we just got lucky I think we got extremely lucky in this case that it was Greta Gerwig yeah happened to be the one to like I don't think Mattel necessarily knew what they had on their hands and then now they've like stumbled into gold really culture defining moment with this movie but there's a world where it could have just been really silly probably or just you know the butt of a lot of jokes without a lot of substance behind it very true yeah no I totally agree and I'm having trouble thinking of like because I don't want to like put anyone down and be like oh well so and so had this movie it would have been worse but yeah I totally agree it's just the circumstances the stars aligned the fact that Bombach was co-writing I feel like there were just so many things that made this movie really really excellent and I didn't go in with like insane expectations, like this is going to change the world, but it really just felt like it changed me and probably most of the people I was sitting with, you know, we all just had a moment at the very end of that cathartic, like release, like we've been waiting so long for something like this to come along. Probably a lot of like, most of like the women I was sitting next to definitely felt that way. So, um, yeah. Okay. Do you want me to talk about my, my past with Christopher Nolan? Cause I can do that in like two seconds. It's not. Okay. Bad. Okay. No, if you've got it ready to go. Yeah. That's great. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I watched all his movies like first week of me deciding that I was a cinephile or whatever, mm-hmm. um, became really attached uh, to inception and interstellar, um, thought they were game changers, uh-huh. know, which I still really love interstellar have kind of cooled on inception. Um, and then I saw most of, I saw Dunkirk in theaters, thought it was enjoyable if Mm -hmm. cold, um, because he cannot write write women characters and I still believe that, but, um, you know, if it's just like male stories then I don't really care, like, I still think they're good. Um, and so for male stories in Hollywood, (laughs) (laughs) well, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, no, for sure. Yeah. Like it, I'm not like stick to what you know, but, um, I mean, I still think his movies are good. They're just certain characters that don't fit into his universes. And I, I, I have felt that way about Oppenheimer a little bit, um, but Dunkirk I thought was really good. I did not see Tenet just because when it came out, it was like 
right before COVID, you know, COVID was happening. It was, was mid-COVID, yeah. Yeah, that was a strange time to be headed out to the theaters. And he was like, you have to see it in the theaters. And I was like, okay, relax. Yeah, um, <laughs> it was but... August, uh, late August, early September of 2020. And Christopher yeah. Nolan was like, we're back, baby. Get to the yeah. <laughs> he was he was ready to go. He he was on the edge of a seat waiting to release that movie, which I know I get. He it. waited he long so enough. People need it. to see it. <laughs> like <laughs> which granted, like there were so many big names in that movie. I think like people would have seen it if he hadn't pushed so hard. But I think maybe if there were any, like if he had just let it come to HBO Max sooner, maybe he wouldn't have been so right persistent or obsessed about it. That became um, a whole breaking point for him, though that. He was so mad at HBO and WB for doing the same day streaming with yeah. movies during the pandemic, of releasing it on streaming and in theaters on the same day that he, yeah. you know, he left Warner Brothers and uh, oh. went to Universal. And then from what I understand, Warner Brothers came back and dropped Barbie on the calendar the same day as Oppenheimer kind of was like a middle finger to Christopher Nolan to be like, you're going to leave? Like, we're going to drop our biggest property on your release date? Interesting. Yeah. I do not know. But then the, like, third level of that, if we're going, like, Inception levels. Oh, right. <laughs> is, um, that the Barbie marketing kind of, like, swooped up Oppenheimer in its Barbie-branded clothing or whatever. And I think you can make an argument, like, the marketing for Barbie that became the Barbenheimer marketing probably propelled more people to see Oppenheimer because so I 100% many people did, agree. yeah so many people did the double feature and it right. became, it's become like a thing in the culture yeah, I totally I, agree yeah I mean Oppenheimer made uh what I saw today was the projected box office is 80 million dollars and it's yeah. an r-rated movie uh I think it's his first r-rated movie uh, maybe unless something like was Tenet R? I think Tenet might have been r maybe Tenet was I don't, and what, I don't feel like Tenet needed to be R. Memento was probably R just because of the content it dealt with. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But like early, that's true. Yeah. Memento must have been rated R. But yeah, for like a talky three hour long R rated movie, you know, Oppenheimer made $80 million. So I think the back and forth between Warner Brothers and Christopher Nolan is. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I probably wouldn't have seen an opening weekend if not for Barbie. So, I mean, I, right. it was pretty incredible how much that marketing for Barbie did for it, because I don't know, you'll see the difference between what the Barbie marketing looked like and what Killian Murphy was seemed like in, in interviews and whatnot. Like there was certainly more enthusiasm on one side than the other, but I think a lot of people felt it was like, like a package deal. To, and then to we had those. Tom Cruise just right. as behind all of it being like I'm gonna see both of them and we're yeah the movies are back and but also like I think Tom is sort of like the big loser of this weekend where like he has been literally losing his mind for the last three years trying to make Mission Impossible yeah and it came out and had like kind of underperformed opening weekend and now it's just completely forgotten immediately. yeah actually that would be it. what's that I, I agree. And it's true. And I am really interested to see like, if the sequels coming out like next year, are people going to start saying like, it should have just been one movie? Like, is it going to have the same backlash that a lot of those movies that were split on the last chapter are going to have? Or oh, is it yeah. going to keep having more movies after the one and two, you know? Yeah, I, there's no indication to me that this is going to be the end of Mission Possible. And there's some troubling things I've seen, like, uh, in the wake of, uh, 
the Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny coming out, mm-hmm. Tom Cruise went out there and said, like, well, this inspires me that I can keep making Mission Impossible till I'm 80, too. And I don't, I don't think anybody wants to see that. I bet Harrison Ford didn't even want to, like, you know, it's all this thing, like, Harrison Ford probably didn't even want to make the movie. Like, they probably just gave him a fat paycheck, you know? I so, feel like Harrison Ford, after, like, his initial success with Star Wars and Indiana Jones, has, like, reluctantly done every single other movie in his career. <laughs> no, for sure. Like, he's checked out. He's not, yeah. like, all of his press are, like, I mean, he maybe he just is a grumpy old man, and that's kind of his shtick, and he's, like, proud of that. Um, but also, I mean, it's kind of like the Bill Murray thing of just not being super, Hart's not in it anymore. And no. when you see that, you're like, okay, well, why am I going to the ends of the earth to try and like, you know, impress you or, you know, go see your movie. And even uh, like the Star Wars sequel trilogy, it was like, he seemed very relieved that he finally got killed. You know? <laughs> like, oh, for sure. I've been yeah. wanting them to kill me off for decades, you know? Yeah, <laughs> actually true. To the Tom Cruise of it all, though, I think that Tom Cruise has put himself in a position where any success in Hollywood is, like, he will give himself, like, 50% of the credit. So, like, if any movie does well, yeah, he's like, I, I had a stake in that. And you can thank me, even if yeah. I... <laughs> well, the problem was that video circulating... Actually, I had a writer on my website just write about this, but um, hmm. there's a video circulating of Spielberg, like, going up to Cruise and being like, you did it! You saved the movies after... Oh, yeah. um, top gun maverick came out and mm-hmm. i think he took that and ran to infinity like literally ran you know for the next entry. literally <laughs> he shouldn't be prove. running like this anymore yeah it's his just knees they probably hurt knees. yeah his heart can't take it yeah yeah <laughs> it gets i don't know if you've kept up with the mission impossible movies but it gets more self-referential or i don't yeah. know they're like oh you think he was running in the last movie like Wait till you there's see like yeah there's one. there's just ten minute sequences which are just like sprinting Tom yeah or like car He's, chases that would make you throw up if he was normal you know yeah um, yeah no I totally agree and we don't have to talk about Mission Impossible now but I did feel like a lot of that movie it was just kind of throwing the key back and forth nothing really got done um, oh man they really I, like to pass that key around in that movie yeah there was pickpocketing especially that just become like the the hijinks of this new entry is like how how slyly can we pickpocket someone which i don't know may or may not be taking away from the essence of the franchise but it's gotten to the point where like you don't even they weren't even showing the moment when the pickpocketing would happen it would just be like assumed be like this person was in the same room with that person yeah and when they when they entered the room that person had the key so we know that when they leave the room the other person has the key and we don't even have to focus right. on it but if you like not worth anyone's time but if you just tried to chart out that movie of like the journey of the key yeah it's dizzying it would be like i'm a, sure yeah, yeah, a yeah swirling line yeah the fun the best part of that movie was palm clementif in the in the car in the big old tank truck like oh yeah face like like you know pump on the pumping on the gas like trying to chase them down she and was running so over excited about it was so funny yeah. about like blowing through all those like scooter bikes and things. Yeah. He's having the time. He was laughing life. and cackling like that. I feel like that was so fun and fresh. And then some other parts of it were like, all right, we've seen this before. For sure. I am grateful for Tom's sacrifices and uh, his heart is in the right place. I think. Uh, <laughs> he's really but, passionate about his goals, which may or may not align with our goals. Yeah. Maybe? Yeah. But he, 
he wants the best for cinema and so do we and he has been now surpassed by you know nolan and, and gerwig um or at least you know they've taken over the scene but we can't forget about him he always deserves at least a mention if i just to briefly give you my background with these please directors, yes uh, i apologize it took us long, so long to get there <laughs> We had, it was a worthwhile detour, I think. I probably like most, I mean, I think we have a similar story with Christopher Nolan, where when you see those movies, like when you're in high school and you're first getting into loving movies, he's like the guy or like one of the guys for sure. And I think Batman Begins was the first movie that I saw of his pretty close to when it came out. And it was so darn cool. And it, I don't know, it was part of, like a formational kind of movie for me as a however old I was 15 or something like that. Um, posing questions about good and evil and corruption and power and what it all means. I Had remember you seen the Michael deep Keaton conversations. What's that? Had you seen the Michael Keaton Batman? Like, did you no. compare them? Okay. I hadn't. I mean, had I seen, I might've seen like a George Clooney Batman or like one of the sillier, sillier one, entries, the, the Dr. Freeze, Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah, but Christian Bale is just the man, you know, the man. He was the coolest actor and the most committed, and I was just eating all of it up at that moment. Um, and then along the, those same lines, I watched The Prestige and had my mind blown apart by the reveals at the end of that movie. Yeah, I... <laughs> David Bowie. I mean, it just was like, again, it just felt so cool and fresh. Uh, I went back and watched Memento and it was like the hardest movie I'd ever seen, you know? And it was like, wow, this guy is like so edgy and like daring, but also he's like killing the mainstream game now. Uh, And then everything converged with Dark Knight and Heath Ledger. Like, yeah, I was perfect. I think I, I think about the Dark Knight in the same way that like Timothy Chalamet is like, the Dark Knight changed everything for me, you know? <laughs> Wait, how do you mean Timothy, Timothy Chalamet? Timothy Chalamet credits The Dark Knight with, like, him wanting to be an actor. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. It was, like, that was his Citizen Kane or whatever. It was, like, uh-huh. Knight just opened his world, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, that was, like, at the center of, of the movie-going universe at the time was definitely the Christopher Nolan you know, circle it on the calendar. It was the biggest thing out there for me. But then I dropped off pretty hard. Uh, Dark Knight Rises just was extremely disappointing. I don't know, maybe I changed as a person in the years between those two movies coming out too. Went to college and had some new ideas. No, right. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I just thought that movie was so Christopher Nolan getting high on his own supply and losing any sort of groundedness that had made me appreciate his earlier movies. And then it had similar feelings about Inception and Interstellar. And I, I really tr- pretty much fully turned on him by the time like uh, Dunkirk came around. Mm. thought he was like all show and like no substance. Which um, is a valid criticism of his work. Right. And <laughs> yeah, like, I, I definitely feel that way. I don't go into those movies being like, oh my gosh, I'm going to cry during this. Yeah. But then then I came back around. So I honestly kind of came back around with Tenet because I felt like that was like the most self-aware movie he made where he was like, you don't, it's not about getting it or like, I'm not even really trying to say anything profound. I just want to like give you an experience. And it was like a really like just 
powerful audiovisual moment. I did see that um, in a theater during the pandemic because I was managing the Esquire <laughs> during that oh, moment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so it maybe connected for me harder because I was like, wow, this, I haven't felt anything like this in, you know, six months or whatever. And it was a, a really like psychologically strange time. So that movie is like weirdly tied to that confusing moment for me and was an escape to like an equally confu- an equally confusing escape to the reality we were living in at the time. <laughs> yeah. But at least it was a different kind of confusion <laughs> that wasn't, I don't know, yeah. uh, no, existential in the way that my lived experience was. I don't know if that makes sense at all. No, no, totally. I know what you mean. <laughs> and so, yeah. And so then I came to Oppenheimer. Um, Greta Gerwig, I think very similar to you. Francis High, always circle as one of my favorite movies. And yeah, just something about her as, as an artist is so relatable. Like you seem more than almost anyone else. It seems like you could be friends with her, you know? Yeah. And she's like the most normal and decent and affable and in earnest, but like earnest, that's the key word really is like everything I've seen her in. I'm like, you're, I just feel like you're telling the truth. Like yeah. I could trust you with anything, you know? Yeah. And the way she kind of like hems and hauls and it's like figuring it out in the moment. And is just really trying to, to get to the yeah. heart of it and, and seems to lack any kind of pretension. Her and uh, 20th century women too, I would cite as like a really nice performance that, you know, it just fit perfectly in the Mike Mills universe. And I, I, I kind of put Mike Mills and Noah Baumbach and Greta Gerwig all on that same wavelength of empathy and like, I don't know, sincerity. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was a perfect fit for sensibility. Yeah. For sure. And, and was part of, yeah, her growing in my, esteem as you know one of the you know, anything she, that she was involved in being interested to see it uh she had a memorable turn in jackie i was just looking back through her i forgot that she was in that yeah she was like uh jackie's assistant jackie the jackie kennedy movie with natalie portman yeah um but she like popped up and i was like oh credit Gerwig. what do you know uh <laughs> yeah and then yeah lady bird little women just powerhouse you know extraordinary hitting the stage as a director and so happy for her and really have felt the same way about Barbie of just like, man, I can't believe kind of like you said, like watching Francis high, I was like, Oh, this little movie, Francis high. I remember I like showed it to my uh, sister and brother-in-law and I was like, yeah, like this movie is so cool. You know, but it was like, it felt like my own little discovery, you know, and now yeah. she's the biggest director in the world. Um, it's, it's amazing. I don't know. I feel yeah. like, it's not like the gatekeeping thing where you're like, oh, like, right. well, I knew about it first. It's like, you're just, I feel legitimately proud and like excited. And, you know, I just feel like, you know, we're not at the top yet. You know, like there's so much good, more good that's going to come. But the Narnia news, I wanted to ask you about that. Hmm. Well, I'm in. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I love Narnia so much. <laughs> uh, I, yeah. I mean, me too. I want to say, even if I wasn't, a particular fan of Narnia, I would still be excited that she's going for it and sort of taking the reins is like, I'm going to be a big time director. And just because I think she's going to bring her brand of, of like existential comedy and real like depth and warmth to anything that she touches. So she could be making like a fast and furious movie. And I'd be like, yeah, like that's going to be awesome. (laughs) (laughs) but Narnia I do love like I have grew up reading those books and then the one that came out 
I don't even know, was it 15 years ago? The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Yeah. Um, That's a special movie. Like it is, and I feel like it's aged really well. Yeah. Um, with the effects and with like the themes. Um, a lot of the actors in it, like who weren't a big deal at the time, like some of them stayed not a big deal. Other ones, you know, went on to be James McAvoy. So true. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm so fully supportive, excited for where Greta is going to go and just hope that we have decades long career to enjoy. Yeah. Well, we've been circling it. I think <laughs> now, we can jump into it. <laughs> now that uh, now that I'm thinking about it, I think most people did the Oppenheimer first and then Barbie. Okay. Sort of, Just because it's like know, a comic, comedic relief after the drama. Yeah. Yeah. I heard one guy say, shout out TJ on the curation team, that it would actually make more sense or he liked the idea of watching Oppenheimer second because you could sit with it and take a little bit of time to process it rather than just jumping right into um, Barbie. Barbie, another movie. But but other people would do the thing where like you watch Oppenheimer, take like a few hours, go out yeah. for a drink or have a meal and then go. So I think we should start with Oppenheimer and then close with Barbie. Okay. What, one quick note I will add that I think it's funny. I haven't done a double feature in a really long time and I'm glad I didn't do one here yeah. uh, just because I think it would have been too much. But mm-hmm. the last double feature I did was Love, Simon and Annihilation, which I just think is the <laughs> wildest double header. In that, in that order? In that order. And Annihilation started at like 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> so don't know what the heck I was thinking at that point. But Did it work for you? It, ha- it gave me the biggest headache I've ever had in my entire life. Oh my god. Yeah. So. I mean Annihilation could have done that on its own. Yeah. Um, but maybe it made you more sort of disoriented and and lost yeah. by the end of that movie like you're supposed to feel, I think. Maybe. I don't know. I haven't revisited yeah. since, but it just I felt like That's deeply so like distressed and <laughs> overwhelmed walking out of that. So, I don't know <laughs> if you've had a strange double feature experience like that, but I think it's 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 interesting to talk about. I wonder, yeah, strangest double features would be a fun segment. I've done, I love to do them. One of my favorites that I ever did was uh, Tron Legacy and Black Swan. Interesting. And 11 years ago. Yeah, that worked great. Those went really nice together. I think I did uh, Safety Not Guaranteed and Moonrise Kingdom back in the day too. Oh, that, would be, that would be cute. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Mo- oh, last year I did... um. The Northman and then The Unbearable Way to Massive Talent, okay. which were both nice sort of like male ego fantasies, I guess. Mm. Get, had some complimentary. I feel like after The Northman, I would not be down to watch anything. Like, I don't know. I, when I walked out of that, I was like, okay, I need like a break. <laughs> yeah. 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 That might have been a better move. It was a hard, hard pivot for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, Barbie. Opp- Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. Yes. Oppenheimer. Yeah. Like, yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> did you get what you wanted out of it or did you get what you expected out of it? Sort of. Okay. I felt like the two first two hours were what I wanted and sort of expected um, yeah. with a little bit of a quicker pace. Cool. Like it happened very, very fast, um, which kept my attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, like the lack of breathing space, like, I don't know. I don't know how you felt about that, how it was just like like a major thing happened and then you're right into the next one. Um, it was crazy for a little bit. Like yeah. I was really focused. I was as locked in as I could be. And the cutting was so quick during some like 
sequences where they're building the team and right. getting that Alamo Los Los Alamos set up where I I was like this feels like a like a trailer for the movie or something I was like is this the actual movie it's just moving so quick yeah <laughs> uh but yes first few hours I would agree really moved um but leading up to the culmination of the trinity test is that is that what you would say uh yeah i would say well immediately after the test i felt like yeah the like the shift pivot was just strange yes um because i mean rdj it's not like robert johnny jr's character came out of nowhere like he was there at the very beginning of the film Mm -hmm. um but there was a long period of time when his point of view which was in black and white to distinguish um was not included and so when it came back and it was so such a big part of the final act i felt like it was a very different movie yes and a movie that i found myself not caring about as much about (laughs) but it's like i mean they're sitting in a room like trying to tell the truth and you know, even if you were paying attention perfectly, like there are going to be some elements that you're like kind of forgot about. Or when they mention a name, you're like, who the heck was that? Like there have been so many guys in this movie. I can't put a face to a name. Yeah. When they're talking about like Chevalier incident or something. And yeah. And then you kind of piece it together gradually, but they're throwing so many names. Yeah. Yeah. The guy who's like investigate, there's a guy who's investigating Oppenheimer who it turns out was Robert Downey Jr. What's that? Rami Malek's character being like the sudden, like the key to the whole story for some reason, which he had two scenes before. <laughs> <laughs> well, and he didn't that jumped out to me. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say he didn't talk in those either two scenes. So, but tell me what you're thinking. Well, we talked about the Casey Affleck reveal. I thought it was interesting how, and we also mentioned the Gary Oldman um as true as truman right yeah truman yeah Yeah. it almost felt like christopher nolan was like let me gather a selection of the best actor oscar winners from the last few years to like coronate killian murphy as this year's best actor because it's like they just showed up to be like take it from here killian you know because casey uh rami malik and gary oldman all just had like one scene or one and a half scenes and then we're out. I mean, there were so many people who just popped up like that. Um, yeah. But Rami Malik, I think I laughed the most. I'm just like, he's like in the background. I was like, oh, I'd love to see Rami Malik back to just being a weird guy. Yeah, he is a weird guy. And like in the best way, you know? Yeah. Um, I, want him, I want him to be a weird guy. I didn't like him trying to be happy for him. Do your, you know, thrive and live your life, Rami Malik. But I just didn't feel like he fit Freddie Mercury. Um yeah i mean i don't really like bohemian rhapsody i have no strong feelings about that yeah um so no i'm I'm on the same page with you and the stuff that i have seen him in since my favorite thing i've seen him in he was an extraordinary snl host i don't hype up many people but especially like i'm a big snl fan just by you know i'm a comedy nerd so he hosted one of my favorite episodes in quite a few years he was really really funny wow yeah Okay, I don't think I saw any of his episode. I recommend watching some of the sketches because, yeah, like I don't know, he just he just was on his own little like weird wavelength, and it made it elevated a lot of the material. Um, yeah, <laughs> it was really interesting. So it was fun oh. to see him pop up in this movie. I kind of like, I wished I'd seen a little bit more of his character because it kind of felt like a 
what do we call it? That's a, a contrivance, kind of contrivance or... but um, Deus mm. Ex Machina, maybe. But also, I mean, if it was a Deus Ex Machina, I like, here's what I would like to ask you. Did you care or did you think it mattered how we feel about Oppenheimer and whether he should be forgiven or he should be, you know, how history should remember him? Is that like, do you think that that was like the thesis of the movie? Like how, like what Christopher Nolan was kind of trying to get across was that idea of like how we should treat him based on his communist leanings or? I think so. I mean, I think the communist leanings and this is me, you know, I think it is a movie that I will rewatch because mm-hmm. I I thought without ever really hitting it over the head, Christopher Nolan did a great job of like dancing right up to and around the idea of nuclear power and the moral, you know, the ethical nature of dropping the bomb. Like he never came out and was, there's a version of the movie that could have been more incendiary or something like right that was just more damning of the whole thing and he he kind of reserved judgment but i almost my take was that he reserved judgment to the point of ignoring me to glorifying oppenheimer and my like love the portrayal i think killian murphy at this point it has to be like i i don't know it's it was i thought it was an incredible performance yeah um but i like i have no moral ambiguity about the guy like to me he seems pretty clearly like a real evil figure in history like just being like neurotic and being like egotistical and you know thinking he's the smartest person in the room um, and, and, all that. and being the smartest person in the room i mean i thought yeah. robert downey's jr's character's biggest contribution to the plot evolution of the movie was when he calls him out as being calls out oppenheimer as essentially being an egomaniac and being like the only reason he's against it now is because he's not like he's the father of the atomic bomb. He's not the father right. of the hydrogen bomb. And he's trying to be a martyr, but it's really, you know, he wasn't a martyr five yeah. years ago before they dropped the bomb. You know, he wanted to see the bomb and then he's now he's having second thoughts and, yeah. and it's and an interesting character. Yeah. They painted RDJ like the bad guy, even after he said that, you know, like fully and completely, he is the villain. Yeah. And I think Christopher Nolan thinks that Robert Downey Jr. is the villain. Yeah. Because they had like uh, Alvin Ehrenreich, Alvin Ehrenreich. Yeah. It's like all smug being like, oh, like. Why would you do that? Uh." Like John F. Kennedy just, you know, (laughs) messed you up, sir. (laughs) Yeah. Get wrecked. Yeah. Yeah. But like, and, and I, I mean, I almost, I both wasn't totally tracking with and also didn't really care about all the like minutiae of the political maneuvering that was happening with Robert Downey Jr. and that backroom trial and the really the last hour of the three-hour film. I was only, I think where it brought me back in was just in sort of like the moral evaluation of what it was like the movie and Oppenheimer himself trying to reckon with what they the done. loss of life and what he was actually responsible for. Yeah. I feel like that was the most compelling part of the movie. And when the third act turned into a courtroom drama about he said, she said, like, it just felt like a lot more shallow um, than some of the other content I was dealing with. I yeah. think, I mean, I think you'll probably agree with me. It's like one of the more powerful scenes is when he's telling the room, like, I don't regret the bomb. The only thing I regret is not having dropped it on Germany. Like, um, yeah. and then he starts seeing like wreckage and nuclear fallout like around him. 
And that's like one of those visions that I think really, really pays off. And I wish they had experimented with that more throughout the movie. But it feels like the sole instance in which like he's haunted by the aftermath. And then after that, it just becomes RDJ trying to destroy him. Yeah. And it does. I mean, I liked that in a way. And I think I will enjoy rewatching it, knowing what I'm getting into, that Robert Downey Jr.'s whole thing, which they identify in the movie, is that he just like got his feelings hurt because Oppenheimer. Yeah, he's just being petty. Like that's literally the whole like, wow, look at what this guy would do um, because he thought he got insulted once. Really goes to show you what people are capable of. It's like, well, (laughs) there, there was a bomb dropped, which is a little bit like, I don't know. I feel like they're two very different vindictive concepts going on. And I think I was watching, well, I had seen Oppenheimer. I had seen Barbie before I saw Oppenheimer. So maybe my Oppenheimer viewing was a little bit informed by the whole like Kendom or whatever the, the Ken, the Ken's like bro society that he builds. uh, Mojo Dojo Casa House. (laughs) Where I was sort of watching it through that lens of like, these are, you know, quote unquote, great men in Oppenheimer doing great things and changing the course of history and the course of human existence. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they're like petty and they're just driven by their egos and they're really like emotionally un- uh, unevolved in, yeah, in their relationships. <laughs> The whole like gender dynamics are like ridiculous. <laughs> I would like to talk about that actually. Yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah. So, well, of course, like, you know, Nolan just like his his women characters. I think the only one I really like like and appreciate is Murph in Interstellar. Mm, um, yeah. Other than that, I really don't have any, str- like, I don't, I feel like they're just kind of like one note, replaceable, like anybody could play him kind of things. And he doesn't do much to. Yeah you know just bring out the humanity in them and again he makes cold movies so mm-hmm. if that if his his view is like the cold male gaze then sure but i mean he tried to make two prevalent female characters in this movie and florence Pugh was mm-hmm. very i mean she's very sexualized in it and basically right. her role kind of boils down to being like his his into the uh, t- uh, or Oppenheimer's the into the yeah left wing influence yeah um but like for example the scene like when he's in the courtroom and then it's Emily Blunt who's having the vision it's like her like, yeah, his yeah, wife yeah. Of Oppenheimer's having yeah, a vision that, that? Yeah. they're having sex in front of her like well it cuts to so because it's it's showing um Florence Pugh's character and and Killian Murphy like naked and sitting in in the room you know yeah. Uh, his memory of this night that they had together and then it cuts to like him in the interrogation room and he's then also naked you know yeah so it's like i i don't know it's like the vulnerability that he's exposed himself or something right i mean i don't really know it's like it's weirdly psychological and it's weirdly like women woman to be woman because they make eye contact it's like there's one bit where they, they make like florence Pugh is like staring at emily blunt like during the scene which i was like i felt like it was kind of unnecessary like if you're trying to point out vulnerability mm-hmm. then why make that the tensest moment so yeah. i don't know i felt just weird about her whole arc and i felt like she like sh- she wasn't explored much beyond like the physical like element of their relationship so uh, i don't know it sure. felt like a miss <laughs> of a character and then emily blunt i felt like kind of got redeemed in the third act like she had more of a part to play mm-hmm. 
but I still felt like she just didn't really fit in, especially for the, like, she was just like kind of the wife for like the middle act with the kid who's like, Oppenheimer, come home. I'm tired of taking care of the kids. And he's like, no, I'm doing genius work. And she's like, I'm going to drink. I hate you. Like, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) And they set her up to be like more of like a free person. I mean, like, because she's like, this is my third marriage. Like, even if it was like of the times she was like, she still felt like a very independent person. And so I don't know. I felt like they introduced that to be a very strong relationship and then they just kind of end up dropping it. And then the only mm-hmm. reason she was there in the third act was like, well, I'm loyal to the father of my children. And also I knew he was having an affair. It's only like she was there to be jealous of the affair in the third act. So yeah, I don't know. It was like weird. It felt like it was just pitting all the like. And she kept also being like, why won't you fight back? You know, why? Won't, yeah. how are you going to let them drag us through the mud? You know, and then and then by the end, it's like, she defends his honor and it's a really good scene where she finally, you know, confronts the prosecutor and, and Emily Blunt like really delivers. That's really. It's a good scene. And that was like, when I was like, okay, this is like, here's a, here's a night. There's a character here, but before then I just didn't, there was just nothing. Yeah. But then it cuts to like the end of the film where they're, you know, old age makeup, whatever it is. And she like, scowls at uh, Benny Safdie's character who we somehow haven't talked about yet <laughs> oh yeah I totally forgot about him <laughs> why is he like I forget what his character's name was but he was doing some like big time accent work yeah um, what nationality was he supposed to be I thought Russian or okay. Eastern European it sounded right. Eastern European accent to me but then it ends with Emily Blunt's character giving him like a, a scowl like yeah. I know what you did you know and and then between that and uh Oppenheimer's conversation with Einstein which was really like the you know the final revelation of the film which I believe was Einstein saying it's out of our hands now like we're the scientists and now this thing is going to take its own course and and almost it was something like that I think he asked like Oppenheimer was like when you were talking about these ideas did you think that you were like prepping for the end of the world and then uh I don't know what he said I don't know. Yeah, but it really felt like Einstein was absolving Oppenheimer in the last scene. Interesting. For what had happened. And then Oppenheimer's last line is like, did you know that we were like going to do something that would lead to the end of the world? And then it's like, I think we are like, I think the world is going to end the last. It's like the vision of of nuclear apocalypse is the last thing we see. So it's kind of absolving him and kind of maybe also suggesting that history was just put on a course where we're headed towards nuclear destruction no matter what. <laughs> that is the bleak ending. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but it also, uh, like, in my head, what sticks out more is just the RDJ, like, getting screwed over. I feel like the smugness of that scene yeah. ended up having more of an impact on me than whatever the final sentiment that Oppenheimer had, you know? Yeah. Maybe again, that's just my poor memory, but... Yeah, I I enjoyed Robert Downey Jr.'s performance, and I was like... I thought they did a good job choosing him to play that role because I thought if literally anyone else played that role, I would have been bored out of my mind during those laughing. Or just laughing. laughing. I was still kind of laughing. I was kind of laughing. (laughs) (laughs) But but just because he does his little mannerisms and uh, smirks and stuff. Quick chat. Like there's some line deliveries I actually want to talk about. Um, Like the quickness and like precision of some of the lines. Um, depend like you know characterizing giving construction to like the intellectual versus the 
less intellectual. Yeah. Um, I also think there was like a line of American actors and British actors. Like I felt like there was a different way that they were, they weren't all on the same page for what the accent should be. Okay. Um, uh-huh. Cause you have Matt Damon and Killian Murphy in a scene and they're giving off two very, very different vibes. And of course, Matt one Damon of them, is just Matt Damon. Matt Damon is just Matt Damon. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And certain of the scientists like Jack Quaid or whatever, you know, the young guys, right. they're just saying lines the way that they think they should. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I just, certain things took me out because you just have a lot of different accent work going on, some different cadence. Like some of them are very pointed and, and incisive and like, you know, direct and other yeah. ones are just kind of like filler. So I don't know. I wanted to get your opinion on if that was distracting. Well, I think that Killian Murphy tapped into the energy, some energy and the voice work and the body work, the way that he, the way he had his his shoulders are kind of back. And then he was very gaunt and he was sort of just like empty vest. I I don't know. They, the characters almost seems like an empty vessel of, or like not an empty vessel, but it's, it's carrying ideas, but it's almost just like propped up by the need of the universe that <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm being I'm struggling to explain it but it's like he was sort of very angular his face you know is is you know shallow and I mean Killian Murphy has always had like sharp piercing eyes and like piercing cheekbones but yeah. uh <laughs> but this was like to the extreme and like the you know the thousand yard stare and and then this when he spoke, it just sounded like it was coming right out of like a, an old radio recording or yeah. television. I almost felt like the quality of the recording of this sound felt with him felt like just accurate to that time period in a distinct way. Yeah. But then, but then I agree. I don't think anybody else was really, other than Emily Blunt, I think felt like she was in the period. Florence Pugh somewhat too felt believable to me as like a, you know, a person who lived in that era um, yeah. in, the, in the little time that she got to have on screen. But most of the other guys were just kind of there chopping it up. You know who I liked? Uh, Josh Hartnett. Yeah, no, I totally agree. He was one of my favorite parts of it. Yeah, he only he yeah. really was mainly in the first part of the movie, I guess. He didn't get as much to do at the end. But he No, was- but I agree. I think he had a very compelling presence. Yeah. yeah. And I think the way, like, maybe just he'd never, his, his, uh, he, he as an actor has never been presented in that type of character before, at least not to my knowledge. Right. So it like, it felt like something fresh and new, even though it's like, we've probably seen those kind of characters before. I don't know. I just, he added something. What quality was it? Like, mm. maybe it was just kind of like the idea that of a scientist who isn't neurotic and rude. Maybe that's yeah. what I was getting out of that. Like, just like kind of like a nice guy who has, you know, strong beliefs, but also like thinks there should be boundaries more of yeah. the well-roundedness, I guess, that um, Oppenheimer was not displaying. Yeah, and he was practical. They they had to talk about like the theoretical physicist versus the practical application, and he right. kind of embodied that side. Right. There was also the guy from Dane Numbers, DeHaan. so creepy. <laughs> Dane DeHaan's super creepy. Whatever <laughs> happened to that guy? Who's the guy? Oh man, I, I need to look him up. Was it David? David Crumholtz. He was great. He was great too. I'm he a big fan. Probably the closest thing the movie had to like a moral center. Right. right. And he felt very like, yeah, that, that's why I totally agree. Yeah. The sincerity, like if any character had that, like I feel like he had the most 
grounding and like he brought you know i feel like he was very in touch with the the outcome of the violence whereas none of the other characters i felt like really faced it directly he felt like the the human in that this could maybe be sort of a a a capping or i think that uh the movie was it didn't delve a lot into the actual impact of uh the bomb like the loss of life even when they were looking at the videos of like the people being hurt they didn't show the videos you know like they were like look at what the war has done but it's really just like oppenheimer looking stressed i don't know if it would have been more or less effective if they actually had real footage in there or if they were trying really hard to preserve the idea that this is a biopic it's fake it's separate but i don't know it it did feel like it kind of ignored some of the real world ramifications and here maybe here's what i was trying to say with that where yeah you don't see it directly you don't actually see the bombs get dropped you just hear you know and then you kind of see it on on killian's face and in his visions but my idea or just from what i had learned about einstein and every that the admittedly not very much that i knew about that time period was that the scientists generally were horrified by how could our you know we were just in this for the theory and we were making discoveries about see if it was possible you see what was possible and everything and and we're so horrified by what happened um and there's a scene early on where before you hear the conversation between oppenheimer and einstein and you see einstein walk by i interpreted that to mean einstein just being disgusted by oppenheimer of you know you've taken like pure science and turned it into like this weapon of mass destruction but by the end of the movie it felt like both the scientists were equally complicit in in what had happened i don't take issue i thought that was just an interesting direction for the movie to take i i I think it's tricky because on one hand you do have a biopic it's a very swift and dense biopic you know that has very like potent concepts in it Mm -hmm. um but if you look at it from a different angle and you're trying to get like a think piece on the actual politics beyond just whether Oppenheimer was communist or not and mm-hmm. you know all the cold war hysteria i just think if you're looking for that you might not get exactly what you want out of it yeah i think it satisfies more of the first box than the second which well, it's so uh... impossible to gauge you know like you're going to like you're not going to you're going to have people who are disagreeing no matter what mm-hmm. but i think i was hoping for a little bit more of a like more complexity in that realm which i didn't totally get with the final act yeah, it was just more um, concerned with uh, political sort of pettiness rather than any deeper substa- like substance. Human rights? Yeah. Crises <laughs> or, you know. Well, yeah, as a, as a closing thought on Oppenheimer, do you think it succeeded at what it was trying to do? Put it to you that way. I think it's a very good movie. I uh-huh. think it has a really like in terms of entertainment value extremely high for its length and for the amount of like characters it's managing and like including i felt like it was effective Mm -hmm. um it didn't feel like people were getting drowned or anything drowned out by a certain performance or you know i felt like even if you had like a one scene people got their moment to shine but it still is a very strong like even if it's an ensemble piece it is about oppenheimer and Killian kind of carries that in Mm -hmm. term like like I said like if you're looking for the second thing if you're looking for like a think piece about whether dropping the atomic bomb was you know 
whether that was a good decision or not, or whether it's ruined the entire world as a result. Yeah. Like, I just don't think it's going to give you what all of the think points, like all of the, I all the ideas to wrestle with uh, as you might be hoping for. How, what do you think? I think I'm on the same page. I, yeah, like, like we've been talking about some, I think that it became more concerned with Oppenheimer's legacy than the legacy of the act or the moral impact of, of the bomb. And I was okay with that from uh, just like, I got a lot out of the movie, but I think the more I think about it now and in our conversation too, I feel a little uncomfortable with where the movie ended up and where Nolan's head seems like it was at with the making of the movie. No, totally. Um, I get that. Yeah. I think it was very within the, he didn't step out and and it was intended to be focused on Oppenheimer. So it's hard to really step outside of, of that lens, but. It starts out a lot more experimental and like, you know, the kind of imaginative sort of, the visions aspect, the psychological aspect is a lot stronger at the beginning. And I think it wanes and I just think it becomes like a fast paced, like confessional drama by the end. So I wish they had kept those motifs consistent, um, even though having the Ocean's Eleven recruitment of the scientists is like, (laughs) you know, it keeps people interested and engaged. But um, I don't know, slowing it down a little maybe here and there and really reacting to the moments of horror like you know mm-hmm. when the first test bomb is dropped and you have that silence and yeah the, the white of the screen like that's a very effective moment and then you just don't get a lot of that in the third and i would have enjoyed a more exploration of the idea of was this inevitably going to happen no matter what and we just had if we didn't do it somebody else was going to do it that's true or, and how much was oppenheimer you know singular figure and only he could have carried this through to success versus was history just on a track where somebody was, if he didn't do it, somebody else was going to do it. Yeah. I love that kind of historical. If it, if that had been the last hour of the movie, I think I would have enjoyed that more than like, was he a communist sympathizer being the last yeah. hour of the movie? I agree. Yeah. yeah. But I think broadly speaking, it's a good it movie. succeeded in that. Yeah. yeah in that, it was grant, you know, the vision was carried out by Nolan and I think it's going to be a good touch point for conversation and, and we'll bring, you know, I, I haven't, I, well, I always love talking about, uh, love a good argument about uh, nuclear warfare, where we're heading or things like that. Mm-hmm. So may, maybe it'll bring that conversation into the foreground a little it, bit. For enga- not, um, it is rated R, but for engaging like an audience that might not yeah. be super aware of what the process even looked like for the Manhattan Project. I think it's decently informative. Like, yeah, I mean, it's not, it is fiction. I mean, at the end of the day, there are parts that are fictional and parts that are like enhanced and dramatized and reorganized. But I mean, historical dramas like that are as interesting as this one. I, I feel like that's always a good thing. Just mm-hmm. again, it's, it's the, the political part of it. The idea of like one man's story versus a broader discussion of the, existential impact of the bomb is like that's that's the toss-up you're having yeah let's go to barbie all right (laughs) yeah (laughs) existential speaking of existential um speaking of unexpected third acts what you did how in were you in sorry go ahead 
where would you define the third act starting? I think it's, hmm. Because I like didn't really have it the same like three act notion maybe that I had for Oppenheimer. I think that Barbie is a pretty simple story. It's like a, a quest, you know, or I think Margot Robbie said it was like her first character, like quest sort of movie that she's been in. I, I don't know. Harley Quinn, I guess, goes on a journey too, but it's a little different. <laughs> but it's like you first act is Barbie Land setting the scene, you know, and then the second act, it's almost like the the Joseph Campbell story arc where, you know, that all the Matrix or Star Wars or Lord of the Rings or all these great stories follow where yeah. you have, you elf. know, the elf. <laughs> Love to talk about elf. Um, there are a lot of parallels here. I, there really worth, are. Worth considering, yeah. Um, okay, well, I have an elf theory. Um, <laughs> Will Ferrell was so strange in the movie that yeah. I almost wondered if he could be, if not doing, actually playing Buddy the Elf, at least giving like a tip of the cap to Buddy the Elf. <laughs> I mean, both movies have this sort of really um, stylized different world, you know, different starting point. Uh, that's very like storybook kind of animation, silly. It's a little bit drier. Elf is definitely drier. Like I feel like yeah. it's a little, definitely like a pessimist. Like it's, but, it's ideas about um, how, how Buddy is incorporated into, you know, the Santa world is bleaker, but. Is, is, yeah, but they're both like kind of painting pictures of perfect societies and then like a member of that perfect society not fitting in. True. Yeah, yeah. And having to leave to discover themselves, and then the real real world being a crappy, yeah, a, I guess funny, but also messy and and changing their whole idea of of how reality works and who they are. And then, but the thing that that felt like it also tied in was that uh, Will Ferrell's character still works at a at a toy company at a toy factory. Mm-hmm. So I don't Good know. Point. He was really weird, though. I could not get a gauge on, like, what, I don't know, what he was, what, I knew I knew what he was representing, but that's the one character I felt like didn't really get the the end or maybe the resolution that some of the other characters did. Yeah. Um, it was like, let's all tickle each other. Ha ha ha. Like, that was really how it ended. <laughs> yeah. It, I thought the movie was trying more, like, really made an effort towards the end to to deal with what are men supposed to do like what are these male characters yeah what's their worth what's their value masculinity that sort of thing yeah and trying to maybe have a little i share some ideas about what a more positive form of masculinity could look like so they had ryan gosling's journey as ken but then they kind of like tagged on will ferrell's journey too where he got to be like, yeah, I don't, you know, it's scary. It's confusing. I don't, you know, being a man in power, like we don't, men don't know what they're doing and we just want to like tickle each other. And I was like, yeah, great. Good. Sure. Um, Good. Whatever you need to do, whatever you need to do, you do that. (laughs) Yeah. He did definitely feel kind of shoehorned in though. Like that, his whole, the Mattel scene. And then when they like Will Ferrell and company, like come back to Barbie land, it's, yeah. they kind of just like forgot about them for about half an hour. Yeah. I was like, wait, how are they going to resolve him? And then he kind of just shows up at the end. Yeah. And that's sort of a loose thread that doesn't really get. I mean, and definitely uh, like 
I mean, not to get too much into this, but like the intersectionality on that side of things, like on the Mattel side of things was interesting. I don't even know if I have the right vocabulary to kind of dive into how it's representing itself versus like what its ideas of are, how feminism ties in with racism and with other, you know, societal issues. Yeah. But, um, kind of definitely like it's, it's generalized, which you have to do for an hour and 40 minute movie, but maybe mm-hmm. worth discussing a little bit. I don't know. You mean in the, the depiction of the Mattel company or just depiction Mattel, of the, yeah. the real world Mattel company's involvement with the movie as a whole? I think both. I think okay. like, okay, obvi- like the biggest, two biggest uh, complaints I've seen about the movie thus far are, wow, look how much of a character Ken became in a movie about Barbie, which I think is the point. Like, I think that's literally the point. So okay. that doesn't yeah. bother me. And the other one, it's just, this is a corporate movie. It's fully an IP based movie. And we're lucky that such brilliant people came on board and made it more than it could ever possibly have imagined itself as. Um, Mm -hmm. But still the fact that it's like, it's still selling something at the end of the day. And um, it's trying, it's using a, it's using very potent real world ideas to rebrand itself and maybe get a new fan base. You know, that's like a cynical read which it is (laughs) is legitimate yeah you could also flip it and look at it the other way where it's like is the brand using this you know silly movie to push its ends forward or is Greta Gerwig using the brand to Trojan horse her ideas into mainstream conversation yeah oh that's true that's that's actually a good point and yeah. yeah. And also like opening like the fact that Mattel is still opening itself up to criticism is like mm-hmm. meaningful, you know, because if more companies were willing to do that and let their artists jab at them, basically, yeah. and say, hey, you know, like you're doing some things wrong. Here are some things you could do that are better. Like, yeah, that makes sense. It's it's certainly going to be a net positive for Mattel. I mean, this feels like it couldn't be going better for them. Right. And I don't know and I don't want to get stuck on the negatives at all because I I do love this movie. No, I think it's really worth talking about like all the different because I am seeing a variety of different kind of negative potential negative readings of it. So I think that one's very yeah. the corporate reading is. I think valid. the corp- this the only scene in the in the corporate thing that kind of threw me off is when Will Ferrell's character is like trying to seem like hey like. We, we have women. She was in the nineties. We had a woman CEO and then he ends the rant with, I have Jewish friends. Like that was the element of like the, you know, kind of, I, couldn't... Is, I mean, it's not supposed to be, it's not actually absolving him. Right. It's very much supposed right. to be damning. Right. Like, right. It's just one of those, like, it's like, like that... if we make fun of ourselves enough, then yeah. you'll forgive us and be like, Oh, they get it. Yeah. It was I mean, the, the alternative... only one that I felt like was a little bit too, maybe ham-fisted and like you know like i'm sensitive like <laughs> maybe i i don't know well, i've just been I, thinking about that one particular scene <laughs> like maybe a good comparison point and i haven't thought about this before was would the lego movie be a good comparison point where i mean yeah, it's yeah. the lego movie and they are and selling legos right and will ferrell is also like the ceo of that company right yeah what <laughs> what's that about <laughs> um Let's see. Well, I the Lego about movie, that. it definitely has like a similar like hero's journey. And it's like someone who thinks they're not 
ordinary, like they're thinks they're ordinary. Yeah. Being given an extraordinary rule. God, I can't even remember. So it the, seems like I we were more forgiving of the Lego movie for like the brand side of it. Where and nobody looked at it cynically, maybe because Lego was already established as more of like a, a storytelling, like they have their right. Video they had video games, they had like, you know, they already cooperated with a bunch of different franchises, nice. and it's like very yeah. recognizable in that sense. What, whereas what makes telling the story of Barbie more cynical than like telling the story of Batman? Hmm. Probably or- just exactly what the movie's about. It's just society's more critical of like things that are targeted for women i don't know probably that really is it (laughs) because it's not like batman just for one example is such is like a pure artistic idea like like he's raskolnikov and crime and punishment i just i don't know the first literary character that came to mind he is batman is a action figure and a toy and a huge like i mean even star wars character like luke skywalker and all that stuff is like it's toys, it's merchandise, yeah. everything, you know, they're selling it. So maybe I mean, Barbie idea. started as a toy. So maybe that makes it more of like a, it feels gross. I think it's the idea that Barbie is supposed to like mimic or at least create another version of reality. Like, like they had is like the women run society thing. Of like yeah. this Barbie's the president. This Barbie has this really important job. Um, yeah. The idea that, you know, this is how, real life could go and i think that sh- the direction that gerwig took it in was like taking that very literally whereas lego the universe was limitless in a sense because yeah. you could build anything do anything barbie is a lot more about the personality of each of the respective like dolls and yeah. how like their real world jobs or you know they did have like fairies and mermaids and stuff like that but um, i think that was the original purpose of the doll Mm-hmm. Rather than what Lego had, which was just build anything. Yeah, great point. Did you have a relationship with Barbie? Um, I well, I'll say like I was the mm-hmm. youngest of four kids, four daughters. So it's like there were Barbies in the house. Right. But I had this like kick when I was like seven. I was like, I'm too old for this. Oh yeah. So I donated them all, and then I decided that I would play with them at other people's houses, but it was kind of like a secret because I think I felt kind of like a sense of shame about liking playing with Barbies because it was like too girly Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so like I definitely understand that relationship of like feeling like liking Barbies and liking dress up is like kind of like too like too feminine and like kind of needing to shut that side down and Mm -hmm. focus on like not like trying to prove myself as like more of a tomboy or like having more Mm -hmm. socially acceptable male qualities (laughs) that sort of thing but Uh um I don't know I do understand like that bit of shame because you're like well it's you know, it's um, it's vain to care too much about your appearance or like to dress up and la 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 la. You know, what, society makes. Fun of what do you appearance. think? What do you think Barbie represents? Like before, if I had asked you that, like before all the, the movie and the marketing and everything. Sure. Yeah. Is it? Um, does it represent like vanity and dressing up and like a certain form of of? I think expression. The dolls in my childhood were a lot more just like party barbie and it's like it was more just about not the occupation um but at least the ones i was playing with were just oh how pretty is this dress and look how cool this house is like it didn't really have the 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 releases and the ones that whatever i was getting picked for myself like weren't about the occupation and um the um you know real world implications it was just fantasizing about living in a house with cool clothes and 
Ken doll, you know? So right. I don't know, maybe it, like, it felt like it was like, it got off the mark further and further along. Like Mattel <laughs> getting started straying further from the point. Because the point was supposed to be empowering women and yeah. look at Barbie's different careers and Barbie running her world. You know, yeah. I, I was just trying to figure out watching the movie, like what the, if there was like a core mythology, if I could call it that, to Barbie as an yeah. idea, as a, as a product. And if in like the first section of the film, like how true the movie was being to that, or if from its beginning point, Greta Gerwig was kind of like putting her imprint on mm. what it was, like putting her spin on it. No, um, like I do know of like the marketing, like past 10 years, they started doing more like body positive Barbies and like more heights and sizes and stuff like that. So it's like, there right. are versions of that that exist that were attempting to be empowering. I just think I got caught in a weird, like early two thousands, like time for the company uh, where that wasn't what was being sold to me. It was more just the glamour of the house and having all the accessories and that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, so maybe just a little bit different than the contemporary child, like the, what a child now would have a relationship with Barbie as being. But I mean, I like the version that they went with. I think that's- And they, they do identify right. that Margaret Robbie is playing quote unquote stereotypical Barbie. Right. So they're, they're sort of- identifying how Barbie even, you know, in the real, in our world has evolved to have these different versions beyond just that first monolith Barbie. Right. No, for <laughs> you know, sure. in the opening sequence. Yeah. And the movie does a good job. It's amazing how good of a job the movie does at sort of like putting its arms all the way around the cynicism while keeping the, the purity at the same time, which is probably yeah. like Greta Gerwig like magic (laughs) skill yeah no because they do especially when they first enter the real world i'm like is this movie about to get like really dark like i definitely had that like fear of like yeah barbie getting i don't know something really awful happening or it was you know uh, i wasn't too worried because of the pg-13 label but yeah they were right right in that moment i was like i do not know where the tone of this is going and they it was really interesting the way they managed to keep like balancing the tone. I'm really grateful. They went back to Barbie land for the finale too, though. Cause I was really disappointed. I was thinking, what if we never like see Barbie land again? Cause we, yeah. we, it, it, the story gets started so quick with it, which I think is a very smart move. Like it really just the second day she wakes up is when she is having like a bad time. So I think the quick, like how fast that happened was a good choice. But once I got in the real world, I'm like, Oh, this is going to be like, Barbie having a series of sad discoveries and feeling disappointed by what humanity's like. But I think it's nice that they went back to the world and like solved the problem there as opposed to solving the real world, which would have been so much to plate and balance for, for this kind of project. Right. You know, but I liked that they really did go for it too. In the third act, they were, they're like, we're actually going to talk about it and we're going to, yeah. Like I thought that, well, okay. So you identified the other, another criticism being, you know, it's a Barbie movie, but so much of it is about Ken and really, you know, that does become kind of the, the driving force. Yeah. Of, of yeah. the third act. How did you feel about Ken as 
there's a lot of ways you can go with that. <laughs> so, um, well, Ryan Gosling was just so funny. And I know oh I, I, I feel yeah. bad the first thing that I'm going to be compelled to say about like performance wise, like Margaret Robbie is really, really, really good. Like, I think she was mm-hmm. perfectly cast. I think like ev- I enjoyed every single actor in this movie. But I mean, it's unfortunate, but I'm just gonna be like, yeah, Ryan Gosling kind of killed it. Like he did a really good job. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought he, I don't know, all his deliveries, they just, just nailed it. Oh yeah. And I don't know, his discovery of the patriarchy and the way that he decided to apply it was just, I mean, some of it was a little bit like on the nose, like, oh yeah, that's a right stereotype. But um, other times I was like, that's pretty incisive. Like that's, that's not something I would have thought of, but you're kind of right about that behavior or that particular, like that quality manifesting itself in men's worlds. Mm -hmm. So I, I liked it. I think um, too, the fact that him going up to her and being like, I really don't know who I am without you. Like, I feel like that was kind of great, especially after America Ferreira's amazing monologue. I'm going to be talking about America Ferreira a lot too, because she was my favorite part of the movie. Yeah. But after her amazing monologue of like, like this is the, every single thing you're expected to be as a woman. And then him and then Barbie telling Ken she's not interested. And Ken's like, then who am I? Mm-hmm. What's my purpose? And she's just like, you just have to, you know, figure it out for yourself. Like you aren't based on the women in your life, whether it be, you know, your mother or your girlfriend or whatever. Yeah. Um, I think it's not. And then the fact that they went to war, like uh-huh. <laughs> as the first reaction to having a woman express disinterest (laughs) i don't know (laughs) it was just clever it was amazing the degree to which they could say so much about everything while you know like you could read it as a real like commentary on society or you know society yeah uh but i think at the same time it was really trying to work within the boundary lines of the barbie world as it was set up so i don't get the impression that they were saying like Barbie represents all women and Ken represents all men. Right. And they did have Alan in the mix, which was fun. (laughs) Alan just uh, tried and like, you know, he's just, he's just a feminist and he did not identify with whatever the Kens were doing. So I don't know. His character is really hard. I don't know how I'd identify that. Like in the course of the story, how would you, was that just fun? I was was so, just baffled by Alan the whole time, but with like delighted. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's a scene, the one scene that I just like thought of and I'm like, what was it? It was a scene where he's just like beating the crap out of a bunch of uh, construction <laughs> workers and it has really nothing to do with anything. And then yes. they just proceed as if nothing happened. And I, I, that was just like, yeah, Alan just was like the true wild card energy of the movie. I think it was just there um, for fun. Like, and that's yeah. okay with, it was almost a feeling of there were certain moments of just like oh this is just like you're playing with your toys and this is just like over the top (laughs) that's a good point yeah (laughs) yeah Um, and the lego movie has scenes like that too funnily enough oh Um, yeah so i appreciated that just like the acknowledgement that how you play with your toy like the weird barbie like that really hit a i i didn't do that with barbies but i did cut up an american girl doll's hair and make her ugly and i remember my mom being so pissed because that's expensive and you know you always gonna have that weird one that no you can't nobody you can't give it away because mm-hmm. <laughs> no one's gonna use it <laughs> yeah I, I thought that incorporation was really really funny <laughs> I thought that Kate McKinnon was like the best I've ever seen her in a role 
since like her SNL era. Yeah. Too. I thought she was just so perfectly cast in this. Yeah. And, and everyone was just fun. It. Oh my gosh. It was, yeah. I don't know. This is like a really small, but it was like a physical like role more than anything. Kingsley Ben-Adir as the one Ken who was just like following Ryan Gosling around and just like yeah. reacting. He killed that. I literally could not keep my eyes <laughs> off him. I was laughing so hard every time I came on screen. Um, Cause he, you know, he didn't say much, but I just thought his physical acting was really, really great. And he's, he's going to have a great career. I know. Um he was just in, he was in One Night in Miami. And oh, then, yeah. Isn't he going to be in a Bob Marley movie? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I think that was exciting. Like, I don't know, seeing these actors, which I know are going to have like bright and exciting careers. Emma Mack, love Issa Rae. Yeah. I like Alexandra Ship. She's funny. It's the ideal lineup. In yeah. So many I'm trying to and America Ferrera. May I talk about her for a moment? Yes, please. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh my gosh. So... Let me just talk about my little journey to this moment of how strongly I feel about it. But Love it. Yeah. Um, no, America Ferrera has been in my world since Sister to the Traveling Pants, which I don't know. That's kind yeah. of a girl. It's a girly sleepover movie. But basically about four girls who bond over a summer because they magically find a pair of pants that fits all their favorite different body sizes. Right. Um, it's a very empowering movie for girls and has like Blake Lively, Alexis Bledel, like all these like iconic 2000s actors. Absolutely. And um, so that was a really big deal. She's in Real Men Have Curves, which is like another great body Im- uh, image empowering movie, Ugly Betty. And then mm-hmm. recently um, I saw her in Superstore, which is just a sitcom I got crazily into a month ago. And oh, yeah. she's really... And with the guy just, from Mad Men, right? Yeah, Ben Feldman, who is, yeah, yeah. there they have great little romance in that show. But it all kind of culminated in this like great affection for her and how she chooses her roles. And like, that, uh, she's been a role model for me, quite honestly. So seeing her in this particular role where she gets the monologue of the century, you know, to just, really? I don't know, just express all these things. And she's so good at just finding the meaning of the words. Like, she leans into them and like, puts Uh a new spin on like a certain sentence like I don't know she's just a passionate and exciting person and I just really really believe her and trust her maybe in the same way that I trust Greta Gerwig so um I don't know I I liked her a little bit about just being kind of normal and just you know wanting to be things to be okay the next day and playing with Barbies because she missed her daughter and like she's Mm -hmm. all so sweet and she was the heart of the movie some review said that and that's accurate to me so I think she was, she <laughs> I think she was kind of the avatar for Greta Gerwig in the movie too. Right. Yeah. Like, that's probably a good point. Yeah. The monologue that she gives the iconic monologue. It's very you could Greta. Really hear Greta saying that stuff. Yeah. About trying balancing all the different expectations and roles. Yeah. Yeah. I really felt her there and and I think that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Express it. Um, Sorry, that was that was kind of like following the same like excitement, uh, yeah. like talking pattern. You were channeling. Did. Yeah, you were. I was channeling, channeling that scene. Yeah. But she um, is maybe uniquely, um, and I haven't seen mo- most. I was aware of her work and like her kind of who she is in culture, but yeah. I haven't seen much of that stuff. But I could see that maybe she is ideally suited to kind of deliver the Greta Gerwig aesthetic into a movie yeah. of, of sort of like put upon, but also 
resilient and has this sort of like life force yeah with her and just wants to connect yeah. really but like yeah. like the relationship boiling down to like she's just trying to connect with her daughter i think eliminating whereas i was saying in oppenheimer it felt like the women were all kind of like put against each other like this whole movie was about putting them having them work together like embracing one another and not like villainizing mothers especially the motherhood trend was pretty strong um, yeah. the idea it's like you know it's even if your choice isn't to be a mother there's that common thread for all of us is having the connection to a mother so um like sure her just trying to connect with her daughter it's a trope that sure is used a lot and meet you know in media is just having that mother-daughter connection but um no i feel like the way that they accessed the daughters warming up to her was well timed and well like developed it mm-hmm. wasn't just like all of a sudden she turned to her and was like wait no i love you it was like it was there's little things that sparked her loyalty and saw her mom's struggle like appear so i thought that that was really really well done and it worked really well at, alongside the you know barbie central barbie character's journey uh yeah they were kind of like both uh, well ken yeah there were some distinct uh character arcs that all seemed to work pretty in a complementary kind of way and land all all land pretty successfully yeah at the end of the movie i wanted to address you know that the montage toward the very end uh when the creator of barbie is talking to barbie yeah and there's like a montage of like real videos of you know women so she's sort of movie, like downloading the human experience in a way right that trick like it could definitely be seen as manipulative and kind of like showing real images of people could be like forced humanity or whatever creating sentimentality and something that isn't sentimental but i think what the scene did actually was dig into like my subconscious so my subconscious and like Mm. pull up ideas that i'd been thinking about during the movie but all of a sudden once i saw these like real women on the screen i was like that's where it is like that's what i've been thinking about like wow. how this Barbie world actually connects to my experience of womanhood and stuff like that. Um, in, in the most dramatic way possible. I mean, yeah. I think, I think a lot of women had that experience cause I was sitting with all my girlfriends and we walked away with like tears on our face. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have no, you encountered just, any negative or in the group that you went to see the movie with, did anybody come away with a negative feeling beyond uh, sort of the couple things we identified so far? No, I'm, I mean, I don't think anyone going to that movie, like, with, you know, who dressed up and who, like, got all excited and was, like, have been sharing the memes for months, which have been the main form of discourse, right, about it. Oh, yeah. Um, would probably walk in and be like, no, that wasn't what I wanted. Because it was so much. And even if there was, like, a tiny scene that you didn't, that didn't hit or wasn't as funny as you were hoping, like, it, there was just so much to it. I think everyone kind of had their own personal experience with the movie, you know? Yeah, there was an entry point. There are a lot of different entry points. Right. Uh, and it was just funny and engaging all the way through like and visually compelling. There's different things that you could highlight along the way. I thought that the I'm Just Ken song towards the end in that sequence was just, just such a powerful moment of cinema. <laughs> <laughs> Great songwriting. I think it was like Mark Ronson was... Really? I didn't music. know that. But I believe that Ryan Gosling performed that song. And I feel that it's it's added to his like canon of 
of sad, sad boy performance, like uh, La La Land, you know, City of Stars, very melancholy, Blue Valentine, pretty melancholy. Mm -hmm. So yeah, he's, he's come at it from a lot of different angles, but he's developing a good um, portfolio of, uh, of sad. uh, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) you could even put like drive and place beyond the pines into like his like the literally me guy trying to figure it out that? what's that the literally me characters literally me about? no yeah, what's that basically just people like dudes especially will go on the internet and anything like anything that's ryan gosling like they re- the drive character is like the symbolic one because <laughs> the drive character has no personality but dudes yeah. would be like he's literally me like we're the same and he they do that about pretty much about any ryan gosling character i don't know it's just become a trend so yeah. a lot of people are taking Ken with that same essence now and probably hopefully in a softer way, you know, that kind of changes mm-hmm. <laughs> the roles that he'll be offered in the future. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's opened up a whole new, I mean, he's not only opened up a lane to his career. I think he's opened up a lane to like a new masculinity. Yeah. True. Uh, and all of the marketing he did for the movie and the interviews that you work enough, like all of that. It's just that, brilliant. Yeah. That sweater that he's wearing, his character's yeah. wearing at the end of the movie. I'm yeah. Sort of... I saw some already succession. Like, I hate how online I sound when I say this stuff. Um, but the succession crossovers, because the main character of succession, Kendall, of um, they'll be like, it'll just have Ken lines or Ken things that Ken's doing, but it'll be Kendall's character because they kind of have the same sad energy. Um, yeah. Of, yeah. Of not being recognized for their value. Being right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm so I'm so jealous you're able to look at this without like so much irony because I feel like I'm exposed to like all this internet nonsense all the time and it's just shaped the way that I can <clears throat> I can already predict like the trends that are gonna happen before they happen because that's just how the movies are like shaping online discourse. It's weird. Well, I love that you went there because I did want to bring this all together by asking where you think this will go and what uh what the legacy of of this weekend will be yeah there's a yeah you could look you know there's a one angle is just how are the movie theaters you know what's is this going to sort of like get people excited about wow like the experience of going to the movies and uh, the bond that we're all feeling of (laughs) going through these really yeah polar opposite but you know vital <laughs> moments on screen um you know yeah but then beyond that just sort of yeah thoughts about the future of of careers and so i don't know i've been seeing some like things of, like this is the last weekend like this because of the writer strike and because of yeah. how it's going to slow down after this so i don't think of it that way because it's kind of apocalyptic it'd be a cool way to go out you know um yeah. but it's not going to happen so i don't think people need to talk like that it is really interesting that across the board like yeah the writer's strike and the actor's strike is going on and the streaming channels are all feels like the industry is doing bad and it's been like a rough rough go where content is getting cut off of the streamers and yeah um nobody seems to be making money except for the executives etc and so it's sort of like a bright spot in the midst of an otherwise pretty bleak moment I can I can't speak too much of like the industry things because I'm not quite in the industry sure. in like well, I can't really speak mm-hmm. to that. Yeah, but um, I I mean I can speak to like the movies and how I think their legacy will be shaped by this event. Yeah. I don't know 
coinciding. Uh-huh. I think Barbie is just going to be one of those movies that is a touchstone, like mm-hmm. especially, I mean, especially for women, but um, probably the way that it's been marketed and how interconnected it is to like everything. You see something pink and automatically your brain goes Barbie. Big time. I feel that way at this point in time. Like if you see, uh, you know, that meme of like the pink house and the black house right next to each other. Yeah. Like, the Barbie and Oppenheimer. It's like, if you see like a pink item next to a black item, literally my brain has been programmed to be like Barbie Oppenheimer. Right. Um, so I think they're kind of intertwined for that reason. And also the fact that there's merchandise called Barbenheimer being sold. It's going to leave. They're forever impact. linked. Right. I think in a way, um, yeah. at least for the next couple of years, but I think Barbie's reputation will be a lot more, not eternal, but I think it's one of those movies that is truly feminist in a way that it's like, it's hard for a movie, like a blockbuster like that to really have its politics so defined and well-shaped um, in that sense. Yeah. Cause usually it's like the execs get in the way of that vision. <laughs> so sure. I think it's truly like a movie that's going to make a lot of money and be like a touchstone for a long time. I think Oppenheimer is a movie that's going to be like receive, do well at the Oscars and then kind of fall out because it didn't deal with the existentialism of its topic in the way it probably could have. And because Mm -hmm. Chris Nolan's movies, they don't have that like longevity. I feel like that a movie so sensitive and sincere, which I feel like the Barbie movie is, um, has that makes sense yeah so it'll go more the way of like darkest hour or like even dunkirk like i feel like nobody watched dunkirk like (laughs) yeah yeah i don't think a lot other than like the nolan heads yeah right that's like wow i love how you crystallized that that it didn't go for like the big time of and i think i i agree with you i i don't see it joining the canon of you know, these are the movies that really deal with the problem of the human problem. Like it didn't go all the way there. It stopped a little short of that. Yeah. But as an achieve, as like a technical achievement. It's a good movie. I think I it recommend will. It. <laughs> yeah. And I think you're right uh, about the Oscar, you know, Oscar potential, certainly in technical categories. Uh, Christopher Nolan has never won, you know, a best picture director or screenplay. I don't, necessarily think this will be the year that he does it's possible maybe he'll win best director for oppenheimer i don't know i just uh, think it's gonna lose steam by the time the november stuff comes out and yeah. it'll get technicals but it probably like and probably murphy but i don't think it's gonna even get in well it might get in best picture but i still have my doubts actually yeah well what do you think about barbie's chances for um awards I'm, i don't even want to like talk it's not important to me like it's not even important <laughs> okay. if this movie wins awards to me it's just it's just fun and it's deep, but not in a way that's like telling you, like trying to be like annoying about how deep it is. Yeah. I think, like I said, it's just, everyone's going to have their own personal experience with the movie, tap into a different character that they like relate to and see themselves in. And, you know, it's very very rewatchable. It's not too long. It's got fun, like amazing production design and costumes, like, I could throw it on right now when I'm doing, when I'm cleaning my house, I could watch it. And since like, you know, in all seriousness, again, in the theater, like it yeah. just, it, it, to me, it's more like that. And I don't know if it's just, it's a girly thing or it's the fact that I think it's a good movie. I think that it's, it's a movie along those lines that I'm excited to show to like my nieces and nephews or just 
you know, it, that is sort of easily accessible, but then we'll open up a lot of conversations about Discourse. movies and then yeah. conversations about ideas. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's a movie where, yeah, you can take just a baseline level of enjoyment from it, or you can take more. Go deeper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think, the, like, the fact that a lot of the serious moments, or, like, more intimate moments are punctuated by jokes, like, makes it all the more effective. Like, that's probably one of my favorite last lines of any film in the past couple of years. I just think the fact that they were able to yeah. go from that, <laughs> like, um, you know, reflection and introspection and just jump over to, like, that being universal female experience or something like that, just, like, punctuating with a joke was really really funny and a good choice and it ended on the right note if that makes sense like it brought it back up again to that point of lightness and that point of um haha like yeah you know. <laughs> oh yeah and just sent you out just yeah in, shuffling so, yeah. as the credits roll like that's the best feeling that is like that's a sign of a good movie i think not in like a chuckling because it's bad but chuckling because it's fun. yeah yeah it was a, such an energizing experience that then was punctuated yeah. Yeah. Well, to close this episode, I thought it would just be fun to, we talked about what's coming up. I just wrote down a list of kind of the next few months of film releases. We were talking about, you know, is this a one-time thing? Is this a sign of things to come? I'm going to just read off what are expected to be the big movies to you. And you could, I thought it'd be fun if you just want to respond either. Yes, not for me, but God bless. Or no. <laughs> um, and we'll see what, what, what we have. So next one, Meg 2. I didn't see Meg 1, so I might have to catch up. But that sounds like a funny movie to go see, quite honestly. So is that like a, a kind of a soft yes? I don't know. If I have a friend that approaches me and is like, you guys were going to the Meg, I'll be like, all right, sounds good. Like, I'm not going to be the one to suggest it, but I'll go along with it. Okay, cool, cool. The Last Voyage of the Demeter. I have no idea what that is. That's a horror movie about Dracula on a ship in the 1800s or something. So fascinating. With some Game of Thrones actors in it. Viggo Mortensen as well. No way. Viggo Mortensen? Apparently. I think he was I don't know how big of a role he has, but it just said he was... It says he's on the cast, but then he's not on the Wikipedia page. Okay, well, we're going to say that's a no. (laughs) I Well, yeah, sorry. Uh, Gran, Tur- Gran Turismo. I've heard of that. Hold on, let me look at it. Gran Turismo. Right, and you could really just give your just baseline reaction because if it's not certain anything for you, then it's probably a no. Oh shoot, the David Harbor one. Yeah, I, I will probably not go watch that. <laughs> Would we put that in? Not for me, but God bless, or just no? Not for me, probably. Okay. Because I just don't really care about cars or video games. Okay, uh, Blue Beetle, D- DC next offering don't care sorry good uh the equalizer three i want you to look me in the eyes and ask me that again the equalizer chapter three (laughs) no 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 no? okay we're it's looking tough so far on the film calendar uh how about another great franchise the nun chapter two i is that the conjuring franchise as well it is yeah yeah I, i can't that one doesn't do it for me there are certain horror franchises I will go out for, but that's just not one of them. Right. The Creator. This is an original sci-fi from Gareth Edwards with uh, John David Washington. Ooh. Ooh. Let me check. If this isn't 
theaters, maybe. Maybe. Because Alice and Janet, well, maybe. It's got a nice little poster. Okay, yeah, maybe, potential. Maybe. Uh, Saw X or Saw 10, whatever it is. Pass. Pass. Uh, (laughs) Craven the Hunter. No. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Uh, Okay, now we've been through a, a bleak stretch and I'm, you know, I think on the, I don't think I've disagreed with you so far. Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. I, okay, I'm really bummed because I missed this one at Cannes. I would totally have gone to it. Um, oh, yeah. And That's it was, crazy. the new trailer is like intrigued me. And the book is like being passed around to my family members right now. So hopefully I'll get to the book before the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think yes, because I like Lily Gladstone. I st- yeah. I'm so popular, but Leo DiCaprio, like not my fave, but I will probably That's go see fair. it. Lily Gladstone, Certain Women, great, great movie. Yeah. Uh, the Exorcist, David Gordon Green, reimagining another horror franchise. Uh, no. David Gordon uh, Green has not, has not had a hit since George Washington. Yeah, he's lost his touch. He's lost his fastball. Dune 2. Um, I will see it. I The trailers didn't scream my name as much as the first one did, mm-hmm. but... I'll go see it for continuity purposes. Gotcha. And just a couple more here wrapping up. This gets us through November on the calendar. Uh, the Marvels, the next no. MCU movie. No, I haven't seen an MCU movie since Shang-Chi actually. Yeah. Well, no Marvel movie can live up to the Eternals for me. So why they should, should have just stopped. Like that you, you do like this movie. I want to do an Eternals episode. Yeah. You do feel I, I liked it more than mo- just about any other Marvel movie. Okay. Uh, which maybe is a low bar in a certain sense, but it was beautiful. I haven't found anyone who agrees with me yet, but I'm working on it. Um, the Hunger Games, Ballads of Songbirds and Snakes. That's probably going to be one of my friends when I go to, so I will go see it. I think the Hunger Games universe is really interesting. Who's directing it? Francis Lawrence. He was involved oh, in the other guy. Movies, Same guy. Yeah, you know what I love. I think Catching Fire is a genuinely fantastic movie, and I think he could one hundred percent agree. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's a yes. Yeah, I will go to that movie. (laughs) Okay, well, pretty bleak overall. Glad we have that one to look forward to. Do you? I have a lot of old movies to catch up with anyway. So, if you from this list, do you foresee any of these movies really like hitting big or making them? You know, hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, the Marvels, Craven the Hunter. I've already heard nun, such bad stuff about Blue the Marvels. Beetle, People are hating Andrew that movie Beetle. before it even comes out. So, yeah, I don't know. Do I feel like Dune will do pretty well? Mm-hmm. Beyond that, I don't know if any of you. I just don't know if any. The Meg of Two's marketing gonna, hasn't been very good. What's that? The Meg Two's marketing hasn't been very good. I've seen oh, almost nothing really about anything. it. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think it'll be the same. Like surprise success that the next one was yeah so it looks like we should really enjoy this barbie oppenheimer moment because we'll have we'll have some form of fall festivals uh and then we'll have some cool movies that hit the calendar later you know later in the year so there definitely will be things to look forward to but in terms of like a box what's that a lot of things have been delayed like um that they just said Challengers is going to 2024. So yeah, the Luca Guadagnino. I just yeah. saw the trailer for that, and it looks great. It looks so much fun. I yeah. cannot wait to watch that. And 
I heard yeah, that the take know. on that was like they didn't want to release it without Zendaya being able to promote it. So they're going to just try to wait until the writer strike is over or the actor strike is over. Okay. Makes sense. That makes yeah. sense. Oh, wait, wait, wait. May I, so this is, you just said movies for August, right? Yeah. Can I bring up two for the month after that? Yes. Okay. Uh, Haunting in Venice, the new Poirot movie, the new Agatha Christie. Is it going oh. to be good or is it going to be not so good? Cause Death I have on the Nile no feelings about, I don't even know about that movie. You know, like Murder on the Orient Express and then Death on the Nile. Is it Kenneth Branagh again? Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah, those are pretty much like just bottom of the barrel, right? Like, are they fun? Are they good? The first one was like, had a fun cast. So I, well, in general, okay. I don't know. There was like a whole Johnny Depp thing with it. But um, it was like, it did decently well because it's just like, it was, I, did it come before or after Knives Out? Is, oh, I feel like okay. Just, it came with that time of like murder mysteries coming back. Yeah. Um, and speaking of murder mysteries, if you haven't seen Poker Face, the TV show with oh, yeah. Natasha Leone, watch it immediately. That is cool. a great show, um, yeah. and it's a murder mystery. But I mean, so no, this yeah. came out two years before Knives Out, so that kind of ushered in the new era. But Death on the Nile, people kind of made fun of it. This one has Michelle Yeoh in it, but it's like ghost vibes. Like they're in okay. a house and maybe bringing people back to life so i don't okay. know if you like the the ip of agatha christie's novels but should be interesting should be something there yeah and then poor things which i had poor thing, i had poor things on my i made a little art house list i guess for of upcoming things and that's on there i'm excited it's your your it's be the most fascinating. yes yeah. and the fact they have another one coming out another one with emma stone jesse plemons mark Qualley. That's like coming out next year. Like he's got a lineup. So yeah. really, really excited about this era of Yorgos. Yeah. Killing the Sacred Deer is one of my favorite movies of all time. Really? Mm-hmm. I feel that way about The Favorite. The Favorite is very oh, yeah. near and dear to my heart. Love The Favorite. Yeah. That's exciting. I, a couple other art house upcoming ones that I circled were um, Talk to Me, the A24 horror film with the yeah the i do did see notes about that one that could be something the holdovers is the alexander payne paul giamatti movie oh shoot you mean the movie i will watch the trailer for this after that could be good and yeah. uh next goal wins is the taika waititi movie that's yeah. been in the works for a while with michael fassbender so i will go see that even though like well, again, the problem is me being too on- online, but Tiger Waititi, like, he's kind of po- lost some public favor, but I still think it's going to be fun, and Will Arnett's in it, and um, yeah, I don't know. I think it'll be a it's good gonna time. It's going to ride off the Ted Lasso energy. <laughs> Hopefully. That'd be nice. Know. Return to, like, his boy era would be good. I love the boy era, yeah. Well, yeah, it's not a total bleak, barren landscape looking forward, but I don't yeah, it might be a little bit until we have another weekend like this one. So seems like a good place to wrap up the episode. Yeah. Um, Lydia, so sorry we went for so we talked for so long. That's probably no, me. So. It's a, <laughs> I think we did a good. We gave them what they deserved in terms of <laughs> processing what we experienced. So it's a pleasure speaking with you. And good. Thank you so much for everyone me. for listening to this episode of Send a Podcast. <laughs>